Chapter 28. Martin's Mold. Martin Nesson got out of the passenger side of Philippa's tan Buickler Sabre. The car had seen better days, with the upholstery on both front seats splitting open, a radio that didn't work, and a dashboard that was missing far too many knobs and buttons for Nesson's liking. Not to mention the smell. The car stank of stale cigarettes. Nesson was all too happy to escape the vehicle when they had reached their destination, if only so that he could once more enjoy some fresh air. Another five minutes in that car, he thought, and he was going to be sick. As he stood on the sidewalk, Nesson waited for Philippa to point him in the right direction. After loading up his few belongings into her car, they had headed north and then west, through Harlem, until they reached Riverside Drive. They were now further north in Manhattan than Martin Nesson had ever had the occasion to go. This, Philippa had told him, was where the woman they were looking for resided, the one called Bernadette Dautrice. Philippa pulled out a small scrap of crumpled paper with an address scribbled on it. She studied it, looking across the street at the row of tall buildings and pointed at the one just off to their left. That's her building, she said. Let's go. Martin followed close behind, so Philippa made her way across the street and over to the front door of the large, concrete apartment building. She tried the door handle, but it was locked. There was a keypad to the right of the door, with buttons corresponding to each of the building's apartments. She pressed the one marked 5D and waited. What if she's not home? Or what if she doesn't let us in? Nesson pondered. No answer. Philippa buzzed again, holding the button down longer this time. I wouldn't mind if she wasn't home, Nesson thought. Still no answer. Philippa buzzed a third time, holding the button down for a good five seconds, but still nothing. Her eyes narrowed into little slits, and then she tried buzzing another apartment, seemingly at random. Yes, came a woman's voice through the small speaker. What is it? I'm sorry, I've left my keys inside, Philippa answered in an apologetic tone. I'm in 5D. Would you be able to buzz me in? I've got all these groceries and... There was a loud buzzing sound, followed by a click as the front door unlocked. Philippa turned to Nesson and gave him a mischievous wink. They were in. They entered a large lobby with three hallways branching off to different parts of the building and an elevator situated in the centre. Philippa made a beeline for the elevator and the two of them hopped into the cramped little box, pressing five and making their way up to Dotrice's apartment. What will we do if she's not home? Nesson asked, afraid he already knew the answer. Then we'll make ourselves at home and wait for her to return, Philippa replied casually. The woman is quite old. She has no family here to speak of, and if she's gone out, she can't be gone for more than a few hours. We're going to break in, Nesson asked in disbelief. Only if we have to, and don't sound so surprised. This isn't exactly the first time you've done something like this, she joked. The elevator doors opened, and they made their way down the hall. 5A, 5B, 5C. There it was, apartment 5D. Nesson held back as Philippa confidently approached the door and gave a hard knock. Nesson did not feel good about this. Philippa knocked again, harder this time. Bernadette, she said. Bernadette, are you in there? I want to talk to you. I'm a friend of Penderwinkle's. Still nothing. Philippa moved closer to the door and removed a small tool from her pocket. It looked to Nesson like a small screwdriver, though he couldn't get a good look at it as her body was blocking it from view. He heard the handle being jiggled, the sound of metal on metal, and a quiet clicking as Nesson suddenly realized she was attempting to pick the lock. Fear gripped him, and he nervously looked over his shoulder, now acutely aware of how easily they could be caught if anyone happened to walk down the hall in the next few minutes. But then he heard a loud click, 
and when he turned around, Philippa had already entered the apartment. Nesson scampered down the hallway and into the apartment as quick as his feet would take him. When he entered, Philippa was peeking her head into one of the adjoining rooms. She's not here, Philippa said, moving through the space with a sense of urgency and then disappearing into one of the other rooms. Martin looked around the large living room. There were floor-to-ceiling bookshelves covering two of the walls and large windows directly opposite the front door, giving a beautiful view of the Hudson River. The apartment appeared to have two bedrooms. From what Nesson could see, one of them had been turned into a study. The kitchen sat tucked away to the left, surprisingly small compared to the rest of the apartment. It looked like Dotrice must have been preparing lunch before heading out, as she'd left bread, condiments and even some sliced chicken on the counter. That was strange. Maybe she'd just run to the grocery store to grab something else for her sandwich. But something seemed off about the food. Martin entered the kitchen and flipped on the light, and that's when he noticed it. The food was starting to spoil. The bread was molded and the chicken sat in a pool of its own fluids. This food had been sitting here for at least a few days. Philippa entered the living room carrying a stack of folders and a small leather-bound book. When she saw Nesson, she had a look of intense focus on her face. I'm afraid we've missed her, she said. Yes, I don't think she's been here in days, Martin replied, gesturing to the food on the counter. I found these on her desk in the other room, she said, holding up the folders. It's news clippings, as well as some documents on Penderwinkle. She's also got information on Ingram and Penderwinkle's wife as well. It seems our friend Miss Dotrice has been doing some investigating of her own. You think she's seen Perry? Martin asked. They've certainly spoken, Philippa confirmed. I found a note with Perry's name on it and a meeting time from just a couple days ago. Whether or not they met, I can't say for sure, but it seems they've had at least some communication. And Marcus, do you think he knows about Dotrice? Do you think... Nesson trailed off. You don't think he's already been here? If he hasn't already, we have to assume he will come by eventually. And if it's all the same to you, Mr. Nesson, I'd prefer not to be here if and when he does arrive, she said. You don't have to convince me, he agreed. Very good. I think we've gotten what we need. Let's head back to the car and we'll drive to my place, she said, making her way up the front door. Martin Nesson paused for a moment, dismayed at the thought of having to get back into that foul-smelling car again. But, and it pained him to admit it, Sticking with Philippa was currently his safest option available, even if that meant getting back into that god-awful car. It was, he knew, his only choice. Chapter 29, Nesson's Nerve-Wracking Night Martin Nesson had no idea where they were headed when he got back into Philippa's car. Unbeknownst to him, they'd be spending the next two hours together in her car as they made their way out into the far corners of southern Brooklyn. Had they been driving at a different time of day, they could have been there in half the time, or so Philippa kept saying. But much to Martin's disappointment, they had left just after 4pm, the perfect time to get stuck in Manhattan at the start of rush hour traffic. Nesson already did not enjoy driving in the city, let alone during rush hour. The city provided enough daily anxiety for him already, so a two-hour drive in bumper-to-bumper traffic was the last thing he needed. Add on to this the overwhelming stench of stale cigarettes and a growing sense of nausea, and Martin regretted ever getting in this wretched car. The worst of offences, however, was the downright terrifying driving of Philippa. Nesson spent much of the trip with his hands in front of his face, shielding his eyes as he tried not to watch the road. Stop signs were run, 
Red lights were ignored. Pedestrians and bicyclists scattered before their car as Philippa refused to brake, only offering a warning honk as she raced through busy intersections, crosswalks, and turn lanes. Nesson wondered more than once if he'd ever make it out of this car alive. Philippa, however, seemed oblivious to the danger she was putting them in. She was deaf to his shouts of panic, his pleas to slow down, to pay attention to road signs. If she heard anything of Nesson's protests, he certainly could not tell. She simply stared ahead as she hummed along to the radio, tuned to a local classical music station. And so it was that as Beethoven, Brahms, Mahler and Stockhausen blared through the car's tinny old speakers, Philippa and Martin weaved their way through the congested highways and byways of the mighty metropolis of Manhattan. When they rode across the Manhattan Bridge into Brooklyn, Philippa turned up the music even louder as Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries came on the station. As the sun was beginning to set over the Hudson, Nesson momentarily forgot the anxiety, fear and nausea that had plagued him. And for just a brief moment, Martin Nesson felt alive. For the first time in his life, he was on a great adventure, albeit a terrifying one. He had no idea what lay ahead, and he wasn't even sure where exactly they were driving to at the moment. He was, for the first time he could remember, without a plan. Martin Nesson was, both literally and figuratively, just along for the ride. He turned to Philippa, now emphatically humming along to Ride of the Valkyries and pounding the steering wheel with her left hand, and he joined her joyful chorus. Soon they were both humming, then singing, then shouting together. Bum ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba bum bum. Who knew what lay ahead today or tomorrow? Would they face more danger, perhaps? Would they find Penderwinkle and Marcus Ingram? What was in those folders Philippa had taken from Bernadette Dotrice's apartment, and would it help them in their search for Perry? And where was Dotrice, for that matter? Most importantly, perhaps, would Martin Nesson's life ever again return to normal? Or was this event one that would forever change him in such a way that he would never again be the same? All of these questions swirled about in the head of Martin Nesson as they made their way through Brooklyn, watching the sun set over the city. Finally, just as Nesson was beginning to nod off, the car came to a stop and the engine went quiet. He opened his eyes to see them parked on a tree-lined street. There were only a few cars on the block, a couple small houses and a number of tall, drab-looking apartment buildings lining one side of the block. Nesson turned to Philippa to inquire. This is it, Philippa said. We finally arrived. And not a moment too soon, Nesson thought, with a great sense of relief. Chapter 30, Martin's Malaise Nesson barely had the energy required to make it from the car to Philippa's apartment on the eighth floor. When they arrived inside, an out-of-service sign was hanging over the door of the building's only elevator. Philippa, showing only the slightest annoyance at this inconvenience, directed Nesson to the stairs, climbing on ahead as he was left alone to lug his overstuffed suitcase up the eight flights of steps. Upon reaching the apartment, Nesson dropped the suitcase inside the door and collapsed immediately onto Philippa's sofa. He could vaguely hear Philippa speaking, but his mind had begun to shut down, his brain was no longer taking in whatever information it was that she was trying to convey to him. It was just background noise, as his eyes grew heavier and he could feel his body overpowering him, deciding it was finally time for some sleep. Philippa, 
who had been talking to Nissen since he entered the apartment, finally walked over and stood directly in front of him. No wonder he had been so unresponsive to her questions. The poor, anxious man was almost asleep. A small stream of drool was starting to form at the edge of his mouth, getting ready to drip down his chin and onto one of Philippa's favorite embroidered pillows. This would not do. Martin, she said loudly, patting him roughly on the shoulder. Martin, I've got a room for you down the hall to sleep in. There's a bed and everything. Martin Nesson briefly opened his eyes, looking confusedly at Philippa before promptly shutting them again. Philippa, undeterred by this, took both of her hands and shook Nesson by the shoulders. Again she shouted his name, and this time it worked. Nesson startled awake, gazing at Philippa in bewilderment. What? What's wrong? he asked. Tell me we're not leaving again already. No, you're going to get some rest, Martin, she said consolingly. I've got a bed made up for you in the room down the hall. Why don't you go down there and get some sleep? You look exhausted. Nesson nodded lazily and slowly pulled himself to his feet. He looked disoriented, peering around the apartment in apparent confusion, until Philippa pointed him toward the end of the hall. That way, she said, walking him toward the spare room. Right in here. This will be your room for the time being. Make yourself at home and I'll see you when you wake up, she instructed. Oh, and the bathroom's over there across the hall. Now have a good rest. Philippa promptly turned on her heels without awaiting Nesson's response and left the room. The room was small and only lightly furnished, but it did have the one thing that Martin Nesson wanted more than anything else in the world. A bed. Martin kicked off his shoes and collapsed into it, falling asleep before he'd even bothered to get under the covers. <laughs>